Hi, welcome. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hitting, making a conscience effort to put your finger on a button, hit it, pull up this podcast, hit play. I appreciate it. It means a lot. Who's who's losing their mind out there? Because I feel like I'm losing mine 100,000%. Hopefully it's not just me. Um, I've been digging into a case, a local case in East Tennessee. It's a missing persons case. Jonathan Ellis. And um, there's really, there's just nothing out there trying to trying to find um, anything on, on the internet. So I've reached out to, um, I went on his Facebook and looked extensively through previous posts and stuff like that and friends. And I've reached out to about 10 and I've, I've had contact with two, but it's not been, uh, no one's been very forthcoming or, or really wanted to say much or um, I'm not sure I maybe the, the, the few that I've talked to it feels guarded uh, and I don't know if it's them or um, just for Jonathan and, and the, the situation itself but I want it to be said that my goal is to shed light on the story whatever it may be, I feel like that, I mean, questions need to be asked and answered and um, tried to put a, a timeline together and get an idea of exactly what was going on the days before he went missing. So all, all we have is, you know, the, the, the missing date. I believe his mother had spoke to him months before he went missing. There's just not a lot, so I'm, I'm giving this, I'm giving a, a, a shout out per se to those that, that maybe know something, and when I say know something, I'm not saying anything nefarious or suspicious, I'm just saying maybe you knew kind of what was going on or where they were staying, where he was staying, what he was driving, who he was hanging out with kind of just what was going on. I'd like to try to put a timeline together just to see if if uh, we can find out what had happened and what's going on. So I come from a place of compassion in that case. I hope that if anyone hears this that I've reached out to, please, um, please know that it's not about monetizing anything. Yes, I am doing a podcast, so hopefully one day I can do this for a living but I assure you, we are a long ways from that. So I don't know if that's a concern or what, but I just want to help shed light on the case. I want to help figure it out because there's no one, no one knows anything. There, it's just a, uh, there's not a lot there. So uh, make a post. Um, you hear this say something on Facebook there's a page uh, go on the uh, weekly podcast uh, group page and make a comment about it and maybe we can we can get some something going um, so that being said 
let's go through a little bit of the process of funding. Well, not funding. I'd like to ask those that are listening to tell two friends to subscribe to the podcast wherever they get their podcast. I would ask that if you have time, give me a five-star review and, I'm sorry, five-star rating. And if you have time, write a short, nice review. And if you get your podcast, uh, it's on nine or ten different platforms. It's on iHeart, Stitcher, Google, uh, Pocket Cast, a bunch of them. Uh, Anchor is what I use to produce it, and it's on there. Um, iHeart, and I applied for um, Alexa, and I guess that'd be Amazon, but I don't know if it's on there quite yet. So, subscribe. Tell just two people. Just If you hear my voice... And I want you to immediately feel sorry for me. I want you to immediately say, you know what? I'm going to have two people subscribe to this podcast. It's really not that big of a deal. And you know what? I'm going to give him a five-star rating. I'm going to give him a little review. I appreciate it. If you would like to donate two, three, four, five, six dollars to help produce this show, you can do so by linking the show notes in uh, it's an anchor link. Uh, I have set up, I have a link on there for uh, PayPal, and I have set up a GoFundMe page for uh, the podcast as well. And I'm I'm just talking two, three, four, five dollars, whatever, just to help in the production. Uh, eventually, I'd like to get some different equipment, new equipment. Um, right now, uh, and I, I mean, I'm fine with what I use now. I'm just, honestly just trying to promote and I'm just hoping to grow and to eventually yes I would like to make a living doing a podcast but right now and I I use the iPhone 6 uh, plugged into a regular set of headphones attached to one of the and I found this the best distance the neck thing that you use that you put around your neck anyway whatever all right so that's the business side of things if you can help us that would be appreciated um, I, I appreciate it. I'm going to try to give more content, and I will. I just didn't feel like we were ready to do for pay content yet, but I may try to to do that um, on Patreon. And and if anybody understands Patreon, reach out to me. You can reach me at um, the d u h. W-E-E-K-L-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com You can leave me a voicemail on Anchor and if you any voicemail that's left I'll, I'll play it. I've gotten one. Very nice. Um, you can reach out on Facebook that's Jeremy J-E-R-E-M-Y Pell P-E-L-L You can reach out to Instagram it is The Weekly Podcast you can reach out on Twitter at uh, at pale underscore Jeremy or or Duh Weekly Podcast. Um, reach out to us. Just I'd like to know who's listening. Um, just uh, send send me a, a message or something. Just letting letting me know who's listening out there, just to get an idea. 
I'd like to interact with with some of the folks that listen. And uh, I, I've downloaded the Get Vocal app for, um, I'd like to eventually start doing that. So if there's anybody out there that enjoys true crime as much as I do and would be interested on getting, you know, on maybe going on and doing a, a conversation on Get Vocal, let me know. I, I'm open to whoever wants to go on. We can do it. And we can t- discuss any topic you want on there, true crime related, or, or whatever, really. But um, it doesn't necessarily have to be about the case that we just talked about or whatever. Reach out. Send us a message. Uh, reach out to us on Facebook. Like I said, it's Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, Pale, P-E-L-L. Or on Instagram. Um, at You can find it. It's under Jeremy Pale, but it's The Weekly Podcast. Or Twitter. Same thing. Reach out. Let us know you listen. Uh, would like to get your feedback on some stuff, maybe different cases or, or whatever. Um, I'm open to that. So this week, I'm going to call it part three of three. Uh, I, I feel like I'm going to do a bonus episode on this one. And it's just going to be uh, an episode on Frankie Richard. Um, I'm going to try to reach out to Hannah Connor. I, I wish she would. I know she's not done a lot of interviews. But I don't want her to think that I would. I really just want to know about Frankie Richard as a person. So I'm going to reach out and try to do that as a bonus episode. I'm not sure how that's going to go. But this week, I want to talk about the the degrees of separation between law enforcement and the uh, Jefferson Davis 8, the Jennings 8, or murder in the bayou. So last week, we talked like... um, Well, let me say one more thing before we get started. I want to give a promotion. Um... Beach Creek Haunted Hayrides, and obviously there are non-haunted hayrides, will kick off in East Tennessee on October the 2nd. I know a lot of people don't um, that, that listen aren't anywhere near here enough to go to a haunted hayride or a regular hayride, but um, there's a Facebook page. You could um, It's uh, at Beach Creek Haunted Hayrides, that's B-E-E-C-H-C-R-E-E-K, H-A-U-N-T-E-D, H-A-Y-R-I-D-E-S. Um, and there is an Instagram page as well, beach underscore creek underscore haunted underscore hayrides. Um, if you're in the East Tennessee area, it's, it's located in Kingsport, right on the Kingsport or Sullivan County, Hawkins County line. So if you are listening and you are in this area, Find that page. Right now you can save $3 per ticket or per rider by prepaying uh, through PayPal or um, Messenger, Facebook Pay or whatever. You can save $3 per person right now. Uh, tickets will be $20 a person for the haunted, $15 for the non-haunted. It'll run Friday starting October 2nd, Friday at 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. And then Saturday morning will start at 10 o'clock, run to 8 on the non-haunted. Uh, and then 8 o'clock to 1 o'clock we'll do Haunted. And then Sunday as well, starting at 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., we will do the non-Haunted. And then at 8 p.m. until probably midnight, we'll do the Haunted Hayride. So we'll run that the whole month of October. So please help us out. Come and, come and, uh, come and take a ride. I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be scary. And I appreciate it. So this week, like I was saying, we're going to talk about the connection. Man, this case just blows my mind. It... it it's one of those cases where you just like your freaking jaw hits the ground constantly. It's like, are are you? I mean, to me, 
and I'm and I'm people may disagree, and that's fine. To me, a we'll say drug dealer, drug addict, uh, whatever you want to call it, criminal. Maybe they uh, they start stealing because of their addiction. I understand addiction. Um, some people do. They they are not very kind or friendly to it, and that's fine. Uh, but it it takes over a person, and it <clears throat> excuse me, it causes them to do things that they would never do. And maybe in your mind they're bad people, but I think they're good people that do bad things. Um, so with that being said, I would rather be in the street with a drug addict or a drug dealer any day of the week before I'd want to be, <clears throat> excuse me, with a dirty, crooked, piece of shit police officer, law enforcement, or whatever you want to call them. Law enforcement is the front line to our justice system. A lot of authority and power is given to individuals. Now, what they do with that authority makes them either an, an excellent, um, I don't want to say cop, excellent law, police officer, law enforcement, um, public servant. If they abuse that power, they can really do some damage because they have so much authority, so much authority, that they should be held to a higher standard when it comes to corruption. And I'm not talking about being able to do their job, and I'm not going to get into the, 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 the agenda that's, that's sweeping this country now. Uh, I think police officers have a tough job I think that more times than not, they, uh, they're just overwhelmed. They have too much to uh, try to take care of. You'll see it a lot in investigations. They'll, a missing person or whatever, they'll just not even go and, and look at it. They, 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 you get the feeling that they don't care. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. But I know a lot of times I think people become jaded. I think people become complacent. I think you can have 10 calls, and if they went out to 10 missing person calls, that nine of them would come back the next day or nine of them would be hiding somewhere, and it's that one that's really missing that slips through the cracks. And Anyway, a dirty cop is the worst thing you can run into. And Jennings... And all the surrounding areas down there and near the Jefferson Davis Parish were some of the most corrupt that you would ever find. Terrible. Terrible. I mean, it is terrible. And there's just a, 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 a string of things, and it goes back years. Well, I'll tell you where it can start as far as what we can find out and talk about. We know that in March of 1993, Sheriff Dallas Comier, he pleads guilty to one count of obstruction of justice in federal court in the Western District of Louisiana. Comier had been hit with 35 charges related to corruption 
at his office. And it didn't stop there. And it wasn't just there. It was a lot of different areas. A lot of different areas. Um, July the 8th of this year, 2020, um, they're requesting that an investigation into certain actions in the Jefferson Davis Parish Jail and other um, misconduct by the Jefferson Davis Parish and Jennings City Law Enforcement be investigated. So we're going to go over and talk about in this episode the connection law enforcement had to the Jennings 8. And let's, I'm going to say this. This episode, we're going to talk about the police officers, law enforcement in this area and their connection, connection, excuse me, to Loretta Chasson, Ernestine Patterson, Kristen Gary Lopez, Whitney DuBose, Muggy Brown, Crystal Shea Benoit Zeno, Brittany Gary, Nico Gullery, and several other murders in the area. So we're going to take a, just a quick break, and we will be right back, and we will talk about the dirty, disgusting individuals that call themselves law enforcement near in and around the Jefferson Davis Parish. This is the weekly podcast. We'll be right back. All right, guys, I'm back. Um, let's look at some of the. Well, no, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do that at the end. Um, now, a lot of this information that I'm giving you today is from the book Murder in the Bayou by Ethan Brown Who Killed the Women Known as the Jeff Davis 8. This is an excellent book. This man done a hell of a job. Also, like I said, July 8th, 2020, the Promise of Justice Initiative wrote a letter or wrote a It's more than a letter to the Department of Justice asking to have a federal investigation open in the Jennings Police Department. So I want to read some of this letter. It says, We write to you on behalf of the people of Jefferson Davis Parish, Louisiana, and surrounding communities. The Jefferson Davis Parish law enforcement agencies and leadership have a long tradition of misconduct and corruption that has gone unchecked. Because in those parishes, and it's like that in a lot of counties too, all across the United States, sheriffs are elected and they go unchecked. A sheriff of a community of a county has all the power. This behavior has encouraged criminal activity and violence, especially violence against women, to flourish in this region. The Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office and Jennings Police Department failed to protect the community from a series of horrific murders of local women known as the Jeff Davis Eight. 
which go unsolved to this day. Local law enforcement agents have a history of misconduct, including police killing civilians under suspicious circumstances, missing evidence, and police involvement in crime. This level of corruption and incompetence puts the entire region at risk. This is a particularly urgent this is particularly urgent for the women in the community. Across the nation, communities are taking a hard look at the role of their local law enforcement agencies. There's, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to skip this part of the letter because I'm not getting into the propaganda. Uh, it states, we must also address the sexual violence that is pervasive throughout modern law enforcement agencies. I don't know about that. I'm speaking of Jennings and um, the surrounding areas there in the Jefferson Davis Parish. I'm not, I'm not broad brush painting with a or broad, broad brush stroking every uh, all law enforcement. It's not fair and it's not accurate. It does state the police departments and district attorney's offices have systematically de deprioritized and ignored rape cases. Maybe. Uh, I know there's a lot of DNA that's not been tested, backlog money, things like that. Beyond failing to protect people from sexual assault, officers are often the assailants. In a particular noble recent case, eh, I'm not getting into that. That is something totally different to this case. Um, It does state in a national investigation, the AP reported that over a thousand law enforcement officers lost their badges in a six-year period for sexual assault, sex crimes, and other sexual misconduct. I don't know what the number is, but that seems like a low number to me. A thousand in six years across the whole country. See, the Jefferson Davis thing is not like, oh, we've got some unchecked rapes and we've got some this and that. This is a <laughs> This is beyond that. You've got 19 people that are dead, possibly to cover up the shit they were doing. It's a lot more than, oh, hey, we got some unchecked, hard, whatever dudes running around acting stupid. This is a lot more than that. And yes, the ones that are sexual uh, misconduct, that should never be tolerated. But you just think it's a little more than that. But anyway, it states that. Within the parish jail, law enforcement agents have engaged in sex trafficking, prostitution, and rape of detained women. Beyond the jail walls, law enforcement agents have created a culture of sexual misconduct and violence. Um, it's also it's particularly, I'm going to say that word anymore because I can't even hardly say it, harmful to female law enforcement agents and local sex workers. Um first section talks about background on law enforcement practices in Jefferson Davis Parish and surrounding areas. It is known that the Jefferson Davis uh, Sheriff's Office, the Parish Sheriff's Office in Jennings, City Police Department, uh, especially the Caliseu Parish Sheriff's Office, have a long and public history of corruption and misconduct. It states that regional law enforcement agents participated in and were heavily involved in the illegal drug trade along the I-10 throughout the late 80s and 90s. Uh, basically, law enforcement seized uh, 
drugs and money from anyone they thought they could on the I-10 uh, interstate. And then they were taking the drugs out of the evidence room and selling them. Uh, it was a bad problem in the Caliseu Parish. We're a witness to a triple murder identified Caliseu Parish Detective Donald Lucky Deluche as supplying a group of suspects with drugs that had been seized by police. You know, you know that name because this gentleman ended up in Jennings. Um, they say as recent as 2015, a, a police officer in Lake Arthur, a detective, Raymond Mott, was ordered to stop making drug busts by then Lake Arthur Detective Terry Gullery. You know that name. And Mott experienced retaliation when he refused to stop doing his job. Terry Gullery is one of the most suspicious individuals I've ever read about. Now, in 92, we spoke in 93 that Dallas Comier was out. But in 92, he was charged uh, in federal court. And, and this paper says 36 felonies. The book says 35. Um, now, it doesn't go into detail in the book, but here it says, including proper use, improper use of inmate labor and using public money to buy trucks, boots, and guns for personal use. It says the charges were the result of an audit that was uh, done at the legislative auditor's office. Uh, discovered that he um, misappropriated about uh, $250,000. Of course, in a plea deal, um, one count of obstruction of justice, serve three years on probation, pay a $10,000 fine. Um, he was only required, it says, to serve one year probation. It says Sheriff Comier was also the subject of a Department of Corrections investigation into mistreatment of persons detained in the parish jail. Now, we know Sheriff Ricky Edwards took over um, for Comier. And um, it wasn't long after he took office that he was he was embroiled in civil rights litigation right out of the gate. Uh, it says Edwards and his deputies had a practice of stopping cars without probable cause and seizing assets under civil forfeiture laws. Those laws are stupid. Those are abused. And uh, obviously I'm not a legal mind or legal scholar, but when you give someone the opportunity to take every damn thing you got right there, whatever... And you, you can even be innocent. And you got to fight your ass off to get your stuff back. It's insane. Oh, my God. It makes me so fucking mad. Um, they also face claims that uh, illegal stops were conducted in a discriminatory manner targeting uh, Latina drivers. There is an incident. Because, see, here's the thing. If you go back into, like, 1996 or 97... Dateline NBC run an expose on the Jefferson Davis Parish, and the department is caught on camera making traffic stops without probable cause and illegal, illegally seizing cash from people. Um, but yeah, the, the Hispanic couple, Albert and Mary Gonzalez, they, um, I believe they won their lawsuit. And it wasn't an isolated incident. In fact, um, Evidence had come up with problems that, that had plagued both Jefferson Davis Parish and Jennings Police Department. Drugs would go missing from evidence room, including 300 pounds of marijuana in one fell swoop. In the early 1990s, a witness reported the marijuana was taken by a police officer in coordination with none other 
than Frankie Richard, which he is now deceased, died this year, I believe. And that might be under suspect, too. You just have to read into that. We'll talk about that on the bonus episode. Um, of course, Frankie Richard was known as the man for dealing drugs, trafficking women. Uh, he was a, a suspect in the Jefferson Davis eight murders. Uh, in 2007, we know that Warren Gary, the chief criminal investigator for the sheriff's office, or, or offered to buy a vehicle from a suspect, Connie Siler, during questioning. During questioning! He arranged the sale while she was incarcerated and then turned around to sell it for a profit. Concerningly, Siler was a potential witness to the murder of Kristen Gary Lopez, Witnesses had alleged that her truck was used to transport Lopez's body, but Gary, but Warren Gary, did not collect any evidence from the vehicle before selling it. He didn't care. He bought the truck for $8,500, and he sold it for fifteen five, I think. Now, the ethics board investigated this, and in 2009, um, well, no, hold on. He did... Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. He was investigated into the, and fined by the Louisiana Ethics Board. Maximum penalty, $10,000. That's it. Now, in 2009, a large amount of evidence from a theft ring went missing, including jewelry, drugs, and cash, which led to the collapse of a criminal case against Mr. Frankie Richard. Ultimately, Deputy Paula Gullery, this is Warden Terry Gullery's wife, maybe ex-wife now, was fired for her handling and potential theft of the evidence. Paula Gullery is the same woman that was over the informants. Uh, in addition to corruption, the region suffers from a dangerous level of incompetence by law enforcement agencies. Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's, Sheriff's Office has, have a... Sorry. Has a incompetence... Shoot, I'm losing my mind. Has a terrifyingly low homicide clearance rate for a town of about 10,000. Of course, it states that most notoriously eight women known as the Jeff Davis Eight were murdered over a period of five years with no criminal prosecutions brought. A task force was formed, uh, led by local law enforcement, failed to follow leads, uh, Conducted shoddy interviews and didn't and didn't go out and interview key witnesses at all. Um, they allowed suspect Frankie Richard to have access to the task force office. He also had a cell phone that was supplied to him by the task force. Now, everybody local there, man, were concerned because. They felt like that maybe law enforcement were directly or indirectly involved or participated in these murders. And like I talked to you before about, besides the Jeff Davis 8, there was nine other unsolved murders in Jennings between 2005 and 2014. Um, the homicide clearance rate in Jennings is 7% as of 2014. The national average is 64, which we've talked about that. Um... And I guess, you know, the families just feel like that 
they feel lost probably. They, they feel like no one's on their side. They feel like they've got nothing. If you can't lean on, on your local law enforcement, man, what a feeling that would be. Um, also, we look at factual and legal allegations. Now, it, it is stated that the Jefferson Davis Parish Jail officials have not only failed to protect incarcerated women from harm, but have actively engaged in sex trafficking and created a culture of sexual abuse. Um, they issued a pay or stay where basically it means you can buy your way, pay your way out of jail. Um, the Kalasu pairs would uh, exchange gift cards as well. You can have sex with them uh, and get out. You can get out of jail free. Um, Kalasaw would take off community service hours for gift cards. Um, also, it states that the Jefferson Davis Parish Jail has an incredibly horrific practice. Jailers offer detained women freedom in exchange for sex. The sexual abuse in the jail is not limited to this practice. Jailers have trafficked women, trafficked women in and out of the Jefferson Davis Parish Jail for nearly two decades. Wow. It's uh, really suspicious with the number of women that have that are known to have engaged in sex with law enforcement and then die under suspicious circumstances. So circumstances in the same parish where they have witness accounts and statements taken by various law enforcement agencies. They indicate widespread sexual abuse and trafficking. They're having, they're being given as well, hold on. The jailers are having their way, and not only are they having their way with the women, they are allowing other male inmates have their way with the women for money. For money. Um, and it talks about, and I don't want to get into all this legal jargon, but the 14th Amendment um, says the behavior not only amounts to a 14th, 14th Amendment violation for failure to protect the detained women, but implicates federal and state criminal laws against sex trafficking um, and sex with incarcerated persons. Additionally, in cases where law enforcement agents receive compensation for sex acts performed by pre-trial detained women, they likely violated the women's right to be free from involuntary servitude under the 13th Amendment. It says between 2003 and 2004, five women initiated a civil action against parish officials because of the abuse experience in the jail, which included jailers opening uh, openly running an illegal contraband business, jailers arranging sex between detainees for a fee, and rewarded trustee detainees who facilitated sales with coerced sex and detained women. 
Jailers coerced detained women into sexual relationships and used openings in the cells to view women's private time without their knowledge or consent. When the detained women refused to participate, they were threatened with fraudulent criminal charges and denied basic hygiene products. Um, it goes through some initials here, I guess, because they're protecting the identity of those that had claimed um, action against these people. But in between 2001 and 2002, we've got Deputy Eric Phillips removed MB from her cell and raped her in a closet. We've got Deputy Jacqueline Varner arranged for a male trustee to rape TG. We've got Deputy Phillips attempted to coerce DH into engaging in a sexual relationship through sexual harassment, sexual advances, and sexual battery, um, and had, written, had given a written request for sexual favors. Um, and threatened to make her life hard if she declined, including through false criminal charges. We have Deputy Ralph Brazad entered MT's cell without warning while MT was in bed and simulated sex on top of MT as a female deputy watched and laughed. Deputy Phillips removed MP from her cell during the night and raped her. Deputy Varner arranged for a male trustee to rape MP. Now, we do know that Deputy Phillips, Varner, Allerate, A.J. Frank were fired and charged with criminal malfeasance in office. In Phillips' case, the state was uh, pre presented at least six formerly detained witnesses who were prepared to testify that Deputy Phillips forced him into having sex with him or other detainees among other acts of malfeasance. Then, Deputy Terry Gullery participated in the investigation interview, investigative interviews. All three jailers eventually put guilty to the criminal charges. Which is, if they didn't have somebody else looking over their shoulder, Terry Gullery would have looked, had been looking the other way the whole time. Because in my opinion, he's the ring leader, the head don, the Mac Daddy. He is the one pulling the strings to all of it. All of it. You know, they finally done a, uh, an investigation, uh, an internal investigation, and the state police initiated an external investigation um, by way of the Jefferson Davis Parish District Attorney's Office. I mean, they've done some interviews of detained and formerly detained persons. Um, they say the findings were terrifying and have only recently, recently come to light. They were running a, a, a drug and sex empire through that parish in that surrounding area because it's not just that parish, and I'll get to the point how these officers were, were swapping. They were in one parish, one they're in another parish, and they're moving around. Um Male trustees roamed the jail without supervision, grabbing women's body parts and sticking their genitals through a hole in the wall intended to pass trays of food. Uh, they would use a hole in the wall to have sex with detained women. They were given video access to the showers, women's showers. They were alleged to pay jailer a fee. Uh, a detained men could pay 20 to 100 for sex with detained women. Detained women who agreed to this arrangement were given special privileges. A detained man reported that jailers would borrow money from detained men and then pay back the debts by arranging sexual encounters with detained women. A male trustee admitted to giving Deputy Phillips, Varner, and Frank money to arrange sexual encounters with detained women. 
the deputies were able to watch the sexual encounters that took place in a visitation room. Detained persons could pay jailers $20 to arrange a sexual encounter with their non-detained partner in the jail's bathroom. It says that Deputy Ernest Robinson reported sexual encounters between detainees to Warden Wallace Simon and uh, gave him a statement from two detained men who had witnessed sexual misconduct in the jail, but the warden conducted no follow-up. A detained man who attempted to report the sexual misconduct was transferred to another facility. Another list of just another horrible incident. Just to give you an idea of when you might hear, you might say, oh, law enforcement. Law enforcement would never be involved in killing women or covering up a murder or this or that. If anything jeopardized their freedoms, if anything jeopardized their livelihood, yes, they would. If they would do this, they would do that. And that's why I'm telling you this. Early 01, TG was out of her cell to assist the male trustee with laundry, pulled her into the bathroom, raped her. Next day, Phillips told TG to remember next time uh, when she wanted to give it away. Frank made comments about he thought TG would be good in bed. In 02, Phillips raped MB while taking her to see the nurse. Um, also, uh, unidentified assailant pulled TR from her cell and attempted to remove her clothing. She kicked and fought. Um, Deputy Phillips watched. 02, Phillips uh, brought AW out of her cell to have sex with him and, uh, and another trustee. Uh, another detained woman reported it on a separate occasion. A number of officers and trustees took turns having sex with A.W. and watching each other have sex with A.W. on a video monitor. Now, in July of 2002, Nico Gullery, we know her, victim number eight, who would later become the final victim of the Jeff Davis Eight, had sex with Deputy Phillips twice. After one encounter, Deputy Phillips took each of Nicole Gullery's roommates to have sex with trustees. Nico Gullery directed, directly reported that she had sex with two detained men Nico Gullery reported this to the sheriff's office in interviews and written statements along with corroborating letters exchanged among detained persons. You hear that? She was talking. Between March and July of 02, Phillips, Deputy Phillips, had sex with the MP over multiple incarcerations, and he would give her cigarettes, marijuana, and alcohol as payment. Deputy Phillips and Varner removed MP from her cell to have sex with a trustee. One of MP's cellmates reported that the trustee would provide MP with cigarettes, marijuana, and alcohol in exchange for sex. Unfortunately, the investigations that they done had little, um, little impact on the culture of sexual abuse there. Um, Lisa Allen filed a federal lawsuit describing a series of sexual harassment and sexual assaults she experienced at the hand of jailer Mark Ivory while detained in the Jefferson Davis Parish Jail. Allen had reported Ivory grabbing her from behind while she compl completed a task under his direction, exposing himself to her and luring Allen into a room where he sexually assaulted and attempted to rape her. The matter was ultimately settled, though Ivory died by suicide soon after the lawsuit was filed. Actually, what had happened is Lisa Allen took a polygraph, and the very day that she passed the polygraph, he killed himself, shot himself in the head. Um, now, the, the saddest part of all this, well, not that's not true. I will say that. People just say shit sometimes. They just, 
But like, I hate when people say, you're, I'm, I'm, I'll be, be honest with you. No. If you have to ask that, you a damn lying ass SOB to begin with. You may be honest with you. I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. Well, that's fucking great. Good. Thanks. Anyway, the poor woman, Nina Ravy, was a nurse. And she was the only law enforcement employee to actually experience any consequences for the harassment and assault because uh, she documented Allen's experience in, in, the, in the medical records and reported Ivory's behavior to Warden Terry Gullery. She lost her job and was investigated by the state board of, a, of a, a, the state police for obstruction and falsifying Allen's medical records, though she was never criminally, pros criminally prosecuted. She had lost her license, her house, her marriage, everything. Her life fell apart. These fools done it in play. They fuck you up. They take your job. They take your life. They take your freedom. You know, there was officers identified through these investigations and lawsuits, and some were prosecuted, others uh, involved in the sex trafficking. They suffered no consequence at all. Most egregious, and this is accurate, was Warden Terry Gullery. He is the main cod. He is, I'm telling you, so we know, well, we'll get to that. All right. We know, and I think this, this man is important to this investigation, I believe. He is alleged to have, had, to have trafficked, trafficked, detained women to members of the community and traded sex for freedom. Terry Guillory is also known to have engaged in sexual relationships with many, if not all, of the Jeff Davis 8 victims, both in and outside of the jail. We know that right before Loretta Chasson was murdered, she was seen having sex with then Deputy Terry Gullery in her jail cell. This was reported to the task force. Did not follow up on it. Terry Gullery released Nico Gullery, and this is his cousin as well, from the jail in exchange for sex. At another point, he offered to release her boyfriend from jail if she had sex with the warden. Now, we know her boyfriend is Puderholm, Michael Puderholm, Puderholm. He's the one that was seen cleaning the Connie Siler's truck and possibly Hannah Connor's direct TV van. Um, Terry Gullery and other jailers regularly paid to have women from the community including some of the Jeff Davis 8 victims, brought to the jail where they were raped by jailers and detained men. He arranged for detained women to come to his office on a daily basis and exchange oral sex for cookies and cigarettes. He also brought detained women out of the jail and to his home where he had sex with them. Terry Gullery held the position of warden beginning around 2005 or 2006, and he still, still works in law enforcement today. Freaking ridiculous. I'm going to take a break, and you'll hear a weird noise, and then I'll be right back. Thanks.
that fool has had no repercussions to his actions. He has raped and plundered uh, and done what he wanted, and he remains in law enforcement. And we'll get to more. All right. It states that Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office and Jennings Police Department officials participated in a pattern of discrimination and harassment against female employees. Um, now, we know that a series, I mean, several leaders in this area, local law enforcement agencies, they, they just had a hostile work environment for women. And it violated so many, so many different civil rights of these poor women that had to deal with this shit on a daily basis. I mean, beyond verbal comments and... Um, they terminated women and, and allowed male officers to, to, to take jobs from them, uh, to allow them to assault them. Um, and it seems like there's been no internal or external interventions into this. So it, it may just, it may still thrive today. I, I don't know. I would hope to think that from what I heard, the new sheriff, I think he took office in 12. I'll have to double check that. But I don't think anybody that worked in the old, administration is there, so they may have cleaned it up. Um, we know Ricky Edwards was elected in 92, um, which he done some termination as soon as he took office, they say based on class and, and gender. Uh, Sue Dirks and Ginger Riley, uh, and there were several more, they brought a suit alleging gender and age. Uh, it was dismissed. Um, also a problem in the Jennings, early 2000, um, now, this is a big problem, if you want my opinion. All right, this gentleman here, I don't know that he is a part of, involved with the murders, but I believe he, uh, he may be, I'm telling you, but these, these fools are crazy. Okay, this was also a problem in the Jennings Police Department in the early 2000s. Newly vested police chief, Lucky Deloosh, forced a female employee to videotape herself getting her nipples pierced. He then showed the video to office visitors. One of Deloosh's police captains made explicit comments and gestures toward a female officer. The same captain drove another female officer to a dead-end road and threatened to rape her. A lieutenant threatened to injure a female officer with a knife. Eight women employed by the police department brought a civil rights lawsuit alleging that it was a hostile work environment that included rape, sexual comments and gestures, unflattering comments, unwelcome touching, and explicit language and jokes. Female officers experienced limited opportunities for training and were disproportionately disciplined compared to male officers. Now that is not the part of, and that's bad, so freaking don't twist my damn words, but remember that name. In 2000s, he was Lucky, uh, Lucky Deloosh, was the new police chief in Jennings, okay? Now, it says here they had a problem with police shootings in Jennings City and Jefferson Davis Parish involved witnesses to law enforcement misconduct. They're stating that people that saw law enforcement doing things, maybe sex with inmates, drugs, whatever, wound up dead. Now, It states, I'm just going to read this, police shootings in the city and parish are concerning not only because of the conflicting accounts of events leading up to the shootings, but also because the shootings involve potential witnesses to police misconduct. 
These shootings implicate the victim's Fourth Amendment right to be free from seizure and a host of state criminal laws involving homicide and witness tampering. On April 20, 2005, parole officer John Briggs Becton shot and killed Leonard Crochet while conducting a drug raid based on a tip from a probationer facing robbery charges, which was later full of shit. He was just mad and just a piece of shit. The one that called in the tip because the tip was bullshit. Now, they may have been selling drugs out of there, but it, it wasn't at that time going on what that guy said was going on. But that's near, here nor there. It doesn't fucking matter. What I'm talking about is just the fact that they reported, the officers, that they were, while they were responding to That don't even make any damn sense. Hold on, I've wrote this backwards. See, what did I tell you about me losing my damn mind? We know parole officer John Briggs Becton shot and killed Leonard Crochet while conducting a drug raid based on a tip from a probationer facing robbery charges. Now, officers later reported that they were, that they were while responding to a reported shooting and narcotics activity. So they're going to say... On one hand, it's because of uh, John Briggs Becton was listening to another person that was on probation with him. And then later they said it was because they had a reported shooting and narcotics. Well, see, they, they're just covering their ass here. It says, though Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office agents were already on site, it was parole and probation officers who initially entered the house because a probationer lived at the residence and they were involved in the shooting. I would say that's because they had no probable cause to enter and no warrant, and so they had to wait for the, the probation officer to get there because technically the guy's on probation. He can go in his house no matter what. It said, though Briggs Beckton reported that Crochet failed to comply with an order and reached for his belt, no weapons or any items were found near Crochet's location when he was shot. A witness standing directly behind Crochet said Crochet's hands were in the air when he was shot, disputing Briggs Beckton's account. This homicide becomes more concerning when considering Crochet's relationship with local law enforcement. In the years leading up to his death, Crochet told friends he was being harassed by agents for refusing to sell drugs for them. He had even been he had even reported death threats from agents, including Briggs Beckton, the month that Brig, Briggs Beckton killed him. I believe it. Now, 2007, Stephen Gunter, <clears throat> he was killed by Warden Terry Gullery. So see if this story makes any sense. Uh, this Stephen Gunter, he was actually close associates with several of the women of the Jeff Davis 8. And he was an informant for Terry Gullery. So Lake Arthur police respond to an incident. Now Lake Arthur is a different area. But when they get there, they call Terry Gullery for assistance. Then this cat's the warden of the jail, an administrative officer. Gunter, the home, Steve Gunter, the, the homeowner, and his partner, bro, they both said to the police, hey, this is not necessary. Terry Gullery had no relevant training for what was treated as a hostage situation. 
with officers deploying in the end five canisters of tear gas and storming the house. Now, Terry Gullery goes in first. There's They may have had an argument, but the, the partner standing there in the yard saying nothing's wrong, everything's fine. This Steve Gunters went in the house. Now, maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong, whatever. But they called Terry Gullery to come out, and he's there. He goes in, okay? After he entered the house, Terry Gullery, he shot and killed Gunter, Stephen Gunter. Now, Terry Gullery says this was allegedly in response. He's like, he fired shots. Stephen Gunter fired shots. Now, he did have a gun, but the coroner reported to Gunter's family that there was absolutely no, let me say this again, <clears throat> no, no gunpowder residue on Stephen Gunter's hand. In both of these murders, Crochet and Gunter, officers escaped any responsibility for the homicides despite suspicious circumstances. Now, I would only, be, listen, I take each individual case as a separate individual case. If I'm bad mouthing the shit out of law enforcement, I'm bad mouthing individuals in the Jefferson Davis Parish in Kalasua Parish, Lake Charles, I'm speaking of specific incident. I'm sp speaking of specific individuals. This is not a broad brush on law enforcement. So be clear. Be clear. Um, each of them had had ties to law enforcement agents. The Crochet and Crochet had uh, received death threats from the very officer that killed him. The culture of corruption in Jefferson Davis Parish allows officers to cover their own tracks at any cost, even if it means committing murder. And I believe that. They had a lot at stake. They had a lot to lose. They had a lot of power. Now, we speak now, part three of this report that came about due to this investigation. Law enforcement agents have ena ena enabled a culture of sexual violence that permeates the parish and surrounding regions. So we've looked at, here now, we've looked at Terry Gallery and John Briggs Beckton being involved in murders two years apart, but we see Terry Gallery here. He's busted in and killed Stephen Gunter, okay? Um, <clears throat> Stephen Gunter was an informant. Stephen Gunter knew the Jefferson Davis 8. Sex trafficking and culture of sexual abuse extend beyond the jail walls. Um, it was rampant through the early 2000s in Jefferson Davis Parish. Frankie Richard, he had ties to law enforcement agents. He was involved of, of a lot of the work, the, the drugs, the sex. He had connections to sex workers. He trafficked women, uh, especially the women of the Jefferson Davis 8. And that's what puts him so close to this murder or these murders. Um, at the border, I don't know how to pronounce that. I know it's a French board, Boudreau, Boudreau Inn. The, anyone could walk in and buy drugs or pay for sex until it was closed in 08. Uh, the inn was run by Martin P. Gullery. I don't know if it's any kin to T Terry Gullery. I've looked, I've not found it. Call him Big G. 
He was a longtime field representative for former U.S. Representative Charles Boustinet. Did you hear me? U.S. Representative Charles, Charles Boustier owned the Bordeaux Inn. You don't think that that trickled right up the top? Oh, man. Well, Martin Gullery had to be fired by the Boustinet office in 16 when all this shit came about. They got to cover their ass. In the late 90s, early 2000s, there were hundreds of calls to the Jefferson Davis Parish office about drug sales and violence at the inn. Uh, including at least one call about a dead body on the property. Warden Terry Gullery was known to frequent the inn and offer to trade free rides for sex. Um, many of the women that engaged, they were, you know, I mean, they were drug addicts. They needed help. Um, a number of the women of the Jeff Davis 8 were engaged in sex work and suffered from substance and uh, use disorder, substance abuse disorder. Yes, all of them. And all of them had connections to Frankie Richard, except Ernestine Patterson, I believe. And with just with her connections to some of the other girls, that puts her right in Frankie Richard's path. And they all were connected to law enforcement. If they knew anybody well, they knew, because they, they were in and out of jail a lot, they knew. They knew the jail. They knew the jailers. They knew the, they knew the players in that game. Um, now it says... Um, One, and we're going to go back and talk about the one incident of trafficking. We're talking about the Muggy Brown incident. The survivor chose not to pursue criminal charges out of concern for her own safety. But we know in November of 05, Muggy Brown delivered Rosalind Faith Burrow, Burrow, I don't know how to pronounce I'm sorry, to uh, Jarrell Mooney Palfrey, who raped Burrow, B-R-E-A-U-X, Burrow, <coughs> I'm sorry, I apologize. In exchange for crack cocaine, a few minutes later, uh, let's just call it Rosalind Faith dropped the charges. We know Brittany Gary, a minor and later a, a homicide victim, was also trafficked. We know uh, Teresa Gary, Brittany's mother, admitted to investigators that she and Frankie Richard, they both were involved in trafficking Brittany. That's sad. It's fucking sad. It's that shit. Local investigator Kirk Menard, um, that is actually Rosalind Faith's uh, father, actually, and he is a big private investigator that took on this case. Um, he said to let's see, sorry, I want to get this right. Um, it says here that uh, Frankie Richard, on May 4, 2007, Frankie Richard and Eugene Ivory raped Elizabeth Dawn Clemens. Uh, afterwards, they threatened she would end up like the Jeff Davis 8 victims. The Clemens reported the rape. She chose to drop the charges. Uh, Richard became the suspect in the Jefferson Davis 8 murders during that period of time. Uh, he was never prosecuted. He was arrested, him and Hannah Connors, his niece, for uh, Kristen Gary Lopez. But they dropped the charges. Um... So around that time that he raped that young woman, Clemens, um, he was a um, suspect in the Jefferson Davis eight murders. Uh, it says many other men who solicited sex workers in the area are known to have been violent towards them, sometimes forcing the encounters into rapes. Uh, 
In addition to uh, always responding to incidents at the border row in, police officers often paid for sex and engaged in relationship with sex workers. Now deceased uh, Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Deputy Danny Barry and his wife regularly patronize sex workers, especially women of the Jeff Davis 8. Barry is known to have been violent in many of these sexual encounters. He was later a suspect in the task force investigation into the murders of the Jeff Davis 8 women. Um, but he died. It's, it's said that he had a dungeon in his home. In his basement, him and his wife were into some weird shit. Um, Warden Terry Gullery had a sexual relationship with Jeff Davis 8 victim Crystal Benoit Zeno and likely was well, with the other seven as well. His sexual relationship with Loretta Chasson, the first victim of the Jeff Davis 8, began when she was only 13 or 14 years old. <clears throat> Excuse me. Terry Gullery was not only engaging in relationships with women, but he regularly seen... Uh, was seen picking up sex workers, including members of the Jeff Davis 8. He allegedly exchanged sex for narcotics with at least one woman. There are reports that Terry Gullery has engaged uh, in drug trafficking and suffers from substance abuse disorder. Um, it says the com complicity and responsibility of law enforcement agencies and local culture of sexual violence against women, including sex workers, is alarming. It's more than alarming. It's sickening. It's sad. It's fucking disgusting. Rather than protect and serve, their act officers are actively hunting women and allowing civilians to hurt women without consequence. It's a total dereliction of duty. They're just... It, it's so beyond that. It's such a damn... Man, it, this... You see, you couldn't write... This is a movie. You, you, this shit cannot be true. This is true. This shit goes on. You couldn't make this shit up, man. It's crazy. Um, it says local law enforcement agencies regularly move between agencies. And this is what I was talking about earlier. Uh, even after they've done all this crazy shit and uh, they just, well, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave uh, Lake Charles Police Department. I'm going to go over here to Jennings. Uh, they just swap back and forth. And, and if... The, the most egregious examples in the region are still in damn law enforcement. And here are some of the most egregious. Lucky Deloosh, I told you about him, early 2000s. He became Jefferson Davis, Jefferson, uh, police, police chief. Lucky Deloosh, at this time, was Calisso Parish Detective. And he was the director of the Calisso Violent Crimes Task Force. There was a series of violent murders, including at least two, where Calisaw Parish Sheriff McElevens' son was implicated. In 97, Deloosh was accused of sexually molesting his daughter, along with his girlfriend, then, then girlfriend. He was charged with aggravated rape and aggravated oral sexual battery, but not prosecuted. In 2000, like I told you, he was recruited to the Jennings Police Department where he would help foster a work environment hostile to female employees. Though Deloosh resigned from his position in Jennings in 2003 because of the sexual misconduct in his department, he later found a leadership position in the Welsh Police Department. That is absurd. 
Now, we've got Todd D. Albor, a former Jennings police chief, accused of using racial slurs, discouraging officers from investigating certain drug crimes, using public property for personal use while in office, and he briefly served as St. Martinsville police chief and is now new Iberia police chief. Now, Johnny Lassiter, we know that name. He was seen in an unmarked police car receiving paper bags from an unidentified man immediately after the murder at the KK's Corner in 97 in Callisoo Parish. Now, that is the one where the, they, I feel like, with different testimony, the gentleman that ended up taking the rap for that was not even there. He was just a fall guy because the sheriff's son at that time um, was involved. And his, I just said his name, um, Hold on. McLee, Mick, McIlvin, McIlvin's son. So anyway, uh, Prudahome was his name. He was found hanging in a bathroom in the jail only that could be accessed by the jailers with a special key. Um, anyway, uh, in the Council Parish at the time, last Laster was a detective in Jennings, and he became police chief later. In November 13, Laster pled guilty to malfeasance in office for taking cash and drugs from the Jennings Police Department evidence room. Uh, before working in Jefferson Davis Parish Jail, Mark Ivory, who assaulted Lisa Allen, was a corrections officer at the South Louisiana Correctional Center and worked for the Allen Parish Sheriff's Office. He killed himself. Allerate Frank, one of the jailers convicted of criminal malfeasance for trafficking women in the Jefferson Davis Parish Jail, has continued to work in a number of local law enforcement agencies and ran for chief of police in units. Wow. Um, Terry Gullery, former Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Deputy and Warden, who trafficked, trafficked, why do I have such trouble? Mm. Detained women and is a potential suspect in the murders of the Jeff Davis 8, became a detective in nearby Welsh. Uh, Ricky Edwards, former uh, Jeff Davis uh, sheriff, who was the subject of civil rights litigation um, because of his civil asset forfeiture practice and held during the murders of the Jeff Davis 8, accepted a position with the Louisiana Sheriff's Association after leaving the sheriff's office. And that's, these towns are, are a few minutes of each other, man. Allowing that these law enforcement agents, they just transfer these agencies back and forth, allowing that to continue? I mean, allow them to use government resources to just continue to terrorize the same communities? It's dangerous. It's irresponsible. It's fucking terrible. There needs to be a database, national database, to track police officers fired for misconduct. And I'm not talking, I'm talking egregious misconduct. But the Jeff Davis 8, I just feel like the connection to law enforcement is there. It, it is there. I don't, the corruption, I just wanted you all to get an idea of how deep 
that corruption ran. And I want to talk just a little bit real quick, and we're going to wrap this up. I, I know um, we talk about there's 19 murders, and, you know, we've got the Jefferson Davis 8. Um, and another thing with Johnny Lallister is um, he was injured in a, a shooting in 2000. But this is another one of the incidents where someone else was killed. Phil Carum, he kills, he goes out and kills police officer Kenneth Gildry and his wife, Christine. A standoff ensues, okay, and during this standoff, Carum, Phil Carum, he kills officer Burt LeBlanc and wounds officer Johnny Lallister. Of course, Carum is later tried and convicted, but he's a police officer. Phil Carm, he goes and kills another police officer. You know? Um, you know, we talk about Leonard Crochet being killed. Some people feel that it was the kick, the, the start to dominoes falling back and, and people in, in, in Jennings and Jefferson Davis Parish just dying, being killed because of what they seen or what they knew. Um... We know that Harvey Burley and Kristen Gary Lopez were witnesses to that murder. We know that John Briggs Becton was the officer that shot Leonard Crochet. And we know after that, we start finding bodies. You know, they find Loretta. And then we know Ernestine Patterson might, be con might not be connected to the same killer. But it's all connected somehow. Then we know Kristen Gary Lope, Kristen Lopez um, was killed in March. She witnessed the crochet killing. She was also questioned in the murder of Loretta. Um, we talked about Stephen Gunter being killed by Terry Gullery. Now, Harvey Burley is another one of the victims. Harvey Burley witnessed Leonard Crochet's killing. We know now in 2007, he was stabbed to death in Jennings. Prior to his death, Burley told friends that he was pursuing promising leads on the murdered women. His murder remains unsolved. We know... Paula Gullery and her husband Terry Gullery, they were surveyed by local private investigator Kurt Menard at the home of drug kingpin and murder suspect Frankie Richard and at a South Jennings home frequented by the murdered women. We know an internal investigation into Paula Gullery was initiated at the Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office after thousands in cash go missing from a May 28th, 09 drug raid on Frankie Richard's home. We know that Paula Gullery was terminated from the Jefferson Davis Parish office because of missing evidence from a raid on Richard's home. Drugs and theft case against Richard collapses as a result of Gullery's misconduct. We know that in January of 10 and early spring of 10, Alan West and Kenneth Pelican were shot in South Jennings. Now, Russell Carrier, he was struck and killed by a Burlington Santa Fe train in Jennings, so they say. 
he was the one that called in a tip to the Jefferson Davis DA office regarding the murder of Crystal Zeno. You know, he saw the three people leaving um, the wooded area where they found her body. Um, these murders are connected. You've got drug dealer David Bowlegs de Shoto, this, this hotel, this hotel. I'd say that. Oh. He was shot to death in South Jennings' home. This hotel, this hotel was an associate of Jeff Davis' eight victim, Nicole and Brittany. And uh, his murder remains unsolved. That was 2011 in July. And in 2014, the body of Lake Arthur, Louisiana, 27-year-old Lacey Fontenot, found in a shallow ditch in that town. Cause of death is drowning as a result of hypothermia. That's the last murder. And we know the eight that we talk about. And we know the the first murder goes back to 1998. Um, I'm going to get my dates wrong. Uh, no. Sheila Comiox. Comio. Fontenot. Comio. Sheila is beaten. C-O-M-E-A-U-X is beaten to death near a funeral home in Jennings. Her murder remains unsolved. We've got as many as 19 murders that are all connected through the Jefferson Davis Parish Police Department, Jail, Jennings Police Department, Lake Arthur, Calasso, and several others in the area. I wanted to give you an idea of just exactly what these this, these law enforcement individuals were doing in this area. In this area. They would cover it up. They could not. It was getting too big. It's too many people knew. Too much shit was going on. People were starting to go down. And some of those guys wasn't going to let that happen. Because not only did they have the power because they were in the jail... Law enforcement, wardens of the jail, had the control, had the power. But they also controlled Frankie Richard. And Frankie Richard controlled the streets of South Jennings. You didn't do shit in South Jennings unless you done it through Frankie Richard. You would be a fool to think that that was not a bad MFR. That was one not to be fooled with. And if the Jennings Police Department or Terry Gullery or the Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office, or and I'm speaking broad brush with them, because a lot of them are corrupt. Wanted didn't, didn't want to get their hands dirty. Frankie Richard We know that Terry Gullery went to Loretta Chasson's home to tell her friend she was missing before she was even missing. We know he also showed up at Crystal Zeno's. Before the body was even identified, we know that he is a drug. He has a drug problem. We know that he is a sexual deviant. Jennings is corrupt. Jefferson Davis Parish is corrupt. They'll never solve the case. They'll, these poor girls will never, and the others that were murdered, the nineteen murders, they'll never go solved. They'll, they'll 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 never be solved unless an outside source comes in. Or unless this new administration wants to clean it up. But I believe the sins of the father are going to get you because the investigation was shit. The, 
There wasn't one. There's no evidence. There's nothing to test. It's garbage. And I think that's bullshit. Somebody needs to pay. These families deserve answers. There's no. There's never going to be closure. And some of these mothers don't deserve shit. They deserve to be smacked in the face for the way they treated their kids. But some of these families need answers. They deserve answers. They have good people in their families. Anybody that would pimp out their daughter doesn't need to have any information about her death. I think that's a piece of shit in my book. Next week, I'm going to do a bonus episode. Let's talk about Frankie Richard, and then I'm going to wrap this up with Murder in the Bayou. I hope I can get Hannah Connor to come on, but I know she's a little resistant. Um, I pass no judgment. I hold no nothing. I, I look at everybody the same. Everybody's the same in my eyes. Anyway, listen. Google this case. Read a book. Look at it. Get the Murder in the Bayou. Read it. Listen to these three episodes, and... Uh, Hopefully next week will be a, a good one with Frankie Richard. I think he's definitely an interesting character. We'll talk about his death. I'd like to find out some more information about him. But, uh, man, thanks for listening. This case bothers me. It gets inside my head and I can't get it out. I appreciate it. This is The Weekly Podcast.